the experiences you have during your life are preparing you for something that you may or may not be aiming for. Everything is available in the palm of your hand. It's just crazy. You cannot recuperate what you cut down. Welcome, welcome, Sheila Bell. I am so glad to see you here on Zoom. What a gift to be talking to you. And, and I just want you to let people know where you are tuning in from. Very excited to be here. Thank you a lot for inviting me. The synergy is just zipping around in the air, right? So I live in Costa Rica, and which by the way, is not an island. Some people get confused. Costa Rica is actually on the Isthmus of Central America between Nicaragua and Panama. So we have the Pacific on one side and the Caribbean on the other. You can drive from one side to the other in about seven and a half hours. So it's a very small country. There's about 5 million people here. And that's it. That's the whole country. So it's very small. It's very beautiful. It's tropical. Great air. <laughs> it's just really, really nice. I've been here for 30 years. I grew up in Texas. That is so, that's, that's so beautiful. And I have a wide smile on my face because here in Southwestern Pennsylvania, it's been feeling like the tropics. It's been oh. raining, raining <laughs> over the past few days. It's just beautifully green and vibrant, but we are, we are not the tropics. We are deciduous forest and we have four very distinct seasons as, as you know, if you're, you know, from the United States and know the different ecosystems, which I know you do. And so I think rather than giving you a traditional introduction, we'll just weave your introduction throughout the whole interview, if that's okay with you. Sure, not a problem. So first of all, people might wonder, why are we streaming this? on reimagine the Turtle Creek watershed and airshed communities, because here we are in Southwestern Pennsylvania, and this is a very local, theoretically, a very local organization. We're concerned with our watershed, which is called Turtle Creek, and we know that the indigenous First Americans called the United States Turtle Island, not the United States, but all of North America, yeah. which really stretches down into Costa Rica in my Yeah, we have the, yeah. No, but absolutely. The There's uh, the world image of the, the entire planet. We could say they didn't imagine it as a planet, but all of that was, which was known, the world was on the back of a turtle, which was swimming in the ocean, which the ocean basically represents the universe. And that is a common, that's a common uh, worldview from the indigenous people of all of what we now call Latin America or North America, all of this hemisphere. Yes. And so some might ask who are watching this, why are we streaming this particular interview live? Some of us know or may not know yet that these interviews that are live get turned into a podcast on a podcast called Journey Through Health and Wellness on anchor.fm. So in about a month's time or so, we release, we're releasing these podcasts every Thursday now. You'll be able to hear yourself. But let's just tease this out. Why is it that we are talking on a theoretically very local, hyper-local, organizational Facebook page? You're in Costa Rica. What does that have to do with my local watershed? And I'm really putting you on the spot. I could punch no, about this for the next 45 minutes. 
I think it's absolutely fine. I think that the water crisis is a world concern, right? And Costa Rica is always in the forefront of ecological solutions. For those of you who don't know that reputation, just Google Costa Rica and all kinds of things pop up as far as conservation. The water cycle doesn't distinguish between borders, you know, and everyone has noticed, right? Have you noticed the weather changes? Like there's, there's change happening on this planet. So I think that all of these topics become global and I think it's best to focus and act on a local level, but I think you have to have a global mentality and understand that when you are putting forth a conservation effort, you're affecting not just your neighbors, but the whole planet. The amazing and famous waterfall into the Amazon basin is provoked by dust that's, li that's lifted from the Sahara Desert in Africa. You know, and the oxygen that's produced in Costa Rica does not stay in Costa Rica. So if we have forests that we're conserving, it's for everyone. It's not just a local issue. But of course, you have to act locally because that's the the circle around which you can influence, you know, but we're all in this together. That is so beautiful. And you encapsulated on point my passion for worldwide ecosystem regeneration. And it, it just keeps coming back to hyper-local, hyper-local. But when we talk to our friends and neighbors, and especially in this past year, speak to people worldwide, you know, the gifts, the golden lining of this past year or so has been that we have had the opportunity to connect with people all around the world, if we so chose to do so, which I did and you did, and we're starting to see that we're all not only the same, but we have the same issues, but we have to act on them hyper-locally. So do you have an example, and maybe you can interweave your background with Texas and Costa Rica, and then I'll pick that up and interweave it, cross-pollinate it with Southwestern Pennsylvania. But tell me, give me an example, um, if you can think of one, about how what you're doing in Costa Rica has to do with helping Texas, for example, to become a more complete regenerative ecosystem. And I'm using the word regenerative on purpose because 10 years ago plus when I started, founded the nonprofit Sustainable Monroeville, the word sustainable was a new word. It wasn't part of people's vocabulary. And so I'm purposely replacing that word with regenerative, because to me, that means moving beyond sustainability into our regenerative future, where we give back more than we take. So I think that's a really interesting, I'm just gonna go off a, a little bit of that. I really love words too. So I'm gonna delve into that a bit before I start with my, my little story. But um, one of my husband's very good friend's father uh, was an economist, and he actually was the one who coined the phrase sustainable. And it was not about the biology, it was about the economy. So it's interesting to reinvent the concept through a new word, because even though I really like the concept of sustainability, you have to recognize that it's about being able to explain to legislators the value of a thing, right? Whereas when you go out for a walk in the woods, you know the value of it. You don't need to be talking about whether it's economically sustainable because you just love it for what it is. Right. And if you go to a place where that has been 
devastated, then of course you're going to feel like you want to renovate. I grew up in the 70s, so there was a big, you know, ecological push. There was a lot of concern about pollution, nuclear warfare, overpopulation, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I always had a bit of a facility for the sciences. So I was put into accelerated programs in which they exposed us to a lot of these issues. And I went like my summer camp, instead of going to shoot arrows and paddling canoes, I went to San Marcos in Texas to look at the aquifers. There's some cave systems there. You can go down in and actually see the waters running like rivers underground, which a lot of people don't realize how the water moves. They're thinking about, you know, creeks and lakes and things, but there's a lot is happening underground. And so I got all this, you know, young exposure, which of course predisposed me to just fall in love with Costa Rica. I took my first trip to Costa Rica in 1989 and I I cried when we left because I came here with a group of biologists that we were studying the rainforest and volcanoes, and I didn't want to ever leave. And then in 1991, I met my husband in Texas, and he's Costa Rican. And so we got married and we came back, and I've lived here for 30 years ever since. I didn't know at that time, a lot of times we don't, right? The experiences you have during your life are preparing you for something that you may or may not be aiming for. We got a piece of property about 20 years ago that was fairly unspoiled. There had been some some areas cleared, but there are three springs creating, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a stream, but there's a, a waterway. Seasonally, it can be more full or less full, but it's always wet. And um, we have made huge efforts to never cut any trees. And actually what we're, what we are harvesting there is the cacao pod, which is a tree crop. So by reforesting this area, we are encouraging wildlife and oxygen production and reducing the erosion, et cetera. And yet it is sustainable, right? Using that economic word, because we're able to remove the cacao pods from the trees without, you know, touching the soil, which is super important for the water cycle. In case people aren't aware of that, I would encourage you to look at the relationship between you know, the watershed doesn't include just the water. The watershed is about the land and how the water flows and how it's contained, how it's retained and how it is utilized. And the best way for the water cycle to circulate is that the roots of trees absorb that water and then there's transpiration from the leaves as opposed to evaporation from a water body. So people in Texas can enjoy our chocolate. <laughs> that makes everybody happy. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, wait, wait. You're getting, you're distracting me. A total distraction. Yeah. Hold that thought because we're going to get back to that thought and we're going to relate that to uh, trees in southwestern Pennsylvania that are native here, like pawpaws and apple, you know, apple trees. Yummy. Yes. Yes. And so I practice Tai Chi. I actually teach. I don't just practice it. I'm the regional organizer of Clear Tai Chi for all of Costa Rica and up at our farm. We've built a platform from Teak uh, where people can come and join me and do the Tai Chi practice right there wait, in the forest. Wait, I have to stop you there. Teak? That's a hardwood. Tell me about that Teak platform. Where did you so get that teak, hardwood? This Teak platform is recycled from a friend of ours. They have a restaurant and they were changing out the deck. And so we went and gathered up the wood and we put it over the frame of a recuperated um, MMA fighting ring. And so we took off the cage part of the fighting ring and just took the structure of the floor and then put this recycled teak over 
that floor so that it could continue to, to be utilized. But we didn't cut it down. <laughs> so you 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 were repurposing some Correct. um some teak that had already been chopped down, basically. Yeah, it had been used already for about five years for a restaurant deck. So it's got a lot of character, but it's still really good wood. Like you say, it's a hardwood. So we hope to keep, you know, and we are dedicated to maintaining it so that it has many years of, of use. So the idea of repurposing, reusing everything is really bubbling up to the forefront right now. Absolutely. Um, and you talked about watersheds being multidimensional. So oh, we, yeah. have, we have purposely called this reimagine the Turtle Creek watershed and airshed communities. And then we have a plus sign. Some may not realize that or recognize it. But in my mind, it was almost not a trick, but a technique to help people start to understand that we not only sh all share the same water, but we definitely share the same air. So the fresh air that you're producing in Costa Rica is winding its way into southwestern Pennsylvania. And our air has not been known to be so fresh, although in this past year, miraculously, there has been fresher air worldwide because we have been moving around less as human beings. And so this has been this past year, for me at least, a breath of fresh air, which is a very different opinion than most have, or many have, I should say. I think the world population, the collective consciousness is shifting and people are coming around now. But let's, let's move now into your personal story a little bit more about how it is that you wound up being you know, the director in the country of Costa Rica for Clear Tai Chi. What were your roots in terms of your own personal health and wellness? I was reading a little bit uh, what you provided to me earlier about when you were 14, you weren't such a happy, healthy young girl. So tell us a little bit about that. So I grew up doing a lot of sports. Thankfully, my mother was on board with, you know, girls getting physical. And so I played soccer and I danced ballet. And, you know, I played all the different uh, seasonal sports whenever they would come up like volleyball and basketball and softball and all these things. Ballet was my principal interest. I was actually training to be a part of the company there in Dallas. But around the age of 14, my knees started swelling. So, you know, I went to the doctor and he's like, oh, we have to remove the cartilage in your knee. They had this brand new thing where they would go in with the cameras. I'm sure he was just dying to, you know, test that out. But I was like, no, thank you. I might need that. I'm only 14. I would like to keep my cartilage. And so I had to quit dancing and I started doing physical therapy. And that was, um, I wouldn't say my first exposure because I can tell you in a little bit about diet. I had an earlier exposure to how lifestyle and habits can affect you and impact your health or your level of pain or your level of inflammation and all this sort of thing. So because of my, <clears throat> my issues, which at that point, you know, it was uh, inflammation in the knees um, and shortly thereafter, uh, a lot of digestive problems. I went to the doctor also because I wasn't gaining weight. I had, I had grown like three inches in three years, you know, it's that growth spurt thing. And I didn't gain a single pound. So I was just rail thin. 
and problems with my menstruation and all kinds of things going on. Like it was just this crazy stuff. And so I went to the doctor, I went to a gynecologist because of, you know, the um, very painful menstruation and the lack of growth and all this. My mom said, well, maybe it's hormonal, right? And I had Raynaud's phenomena, which I'm not sure if our listeners know what that is, but it's basically your fingers turn like completely white. There's no circulation. If you shake your fingers down like this, maybe they'll get purple, but they stay purple. It's just like, there's no circulation in your digits. And you can get this on your hands or on your feet. If you go to a doctor now and have Raynaud's, immediately they'll test you for autoimmune disease. But back in the day, that was not necessarily a connection that they, especially a gynecologist would not necessarily have made that connection. Well, obviously didn't in my case. And so there were clues along the way, but I didn't get a good firm diagnosis until I was 35. And of course, between 14 and 35, there's quite a span of space there and a lot of big changes in my life and other, you know, different environments because I changed. I moved from my parents' house up to Sherman for a couple of years to Austin College and then down to Galveston on the coast to Texas A&M for three years. And after that, I moved to Costa Rica, which is completely different, right? So all these changes of environment, all these changes in diet, I had to acquire a language. I had two kids, you know, just getting married and cohabitating for the first time is kind of big change. So all these changes in my environment impacted my health in different ways. And I had all kinds of, uh, I mean, you can imagine just any system of the body that you can think of, I had an issue, <laughs> you know, and I couldn't figure it out because I, I felt like I was living a fairly, you know, healthy life. I was still active, even though I couldn't do high impact things. I've always been a swimmer. I still love to swim. Water is my thing. I'm just a water baby. But at some point, I think it was right after I had dislocated a knee and my, my knee swelled up like a football, like a, sorry, like a soccer ball in Latin America, it's football. <laughs> my husband had started to go to Qigong classes uh, with an acupuncturist and he had convinced our teacher to come to the house instead of him having to drive to where the teacher was at. So we had a nice group of people and my husband had convinced me to come into the class. At that time, I was doing more yoga and gymnastics and weightlifting and things. But he said, let's try this. It's more relaxing. So I started doing Qigong. I told the teacher that night, I can't do the part where you bend your knees tonight because look at my knee. And he said, well, I can help you with that. And I was like, well, we'll see. And he said, no, really, I'll, I'll heal that. I was like, well, okay. If you feel that strongly about it, let's give it a whirl. That was my first exposure to acupuncture. And I saw how quickly I had recuperation using Eastern techniques. And that's why I just, I love the fact that the world is so small now. Like it's just really a global community and you get input from all these creative people that have different solutions for things that are not necessarily, you know, the way you were raised or the way your culture solves things, but they're available to us. Everything is available in the palm of your hand. It's just crazy that you can access so much information so quickly. I mean, it's a little overwhelming actually, but with the, with this guidance and learning both Qigong and Chuan, which are two different types of Tai Chi, I was able to recuperate my health. Uh, additionally, I had done more research, made some changes in my diet. And I mean, the rest is history. You see me, I'm medication-free and symptom-free. And, you know, I do have maybe a different lifestyle than a lot of people have, but I'm super happy. And I feel very much at peace with the struggle that I've had because of what it taught me and the way it allows me to help and guide other people to find their ideal lifestyle, which is not going to be the same as mine, you know, but to have that curiosity and to not settle for feeling less well than you should, 
is vital as a motivator to continue to do things maybe differently than your neighbor or differently than the rest of your family, but that is right for you, for you to have an internal environment, you know, that's going to positively affect the people around you and your internal, because if you're depressed, your house is not going to look nice and inviting for other people to come into, you know? And so all these different factors are combined to make you a positive factor in your community, in your family. It's vital that you feel good about yourself and that you're able to act positively everything around you. So let's continue that thread. I have found that I have, I have walked between the worlds, meaning I have spent a lot of time in the environmental movements of the past decades. And I have spent a lot of time in the holistic health and wellness arenas in the past decades for my entire adult life. And I have noticed that these two worlds are not often cross-pollinating. And so I've kind of, I'm a self-defined now cross-pollinator and I have a feeling and understand now that you are as well. That is correct, yes. So how do you see the relationship between you taking care of the vessel of yourself and the healing of our mother, Mother Earth and Father Sky? Well, to me, it's just completely obvious. I mean, it's like, it's not even a point of discussion so much. Well, <laughs> so like, let me, so let's, aw, no, it's okay. We can bring Doggy in here. <laughs> Why don't you introduce your dog? Why don't we? This is, this is Kalani. She actually belongs to my daughter. She's an Australian cattle dog and the blue version, right? Blue healer. And she is very affectionate and she is loving the pandemic because we're all here to cut with all day long. <laughs> what is her name? Tell me her name again. Annie, her name is Kalani. It means heavens and it, of course the heaven is blue. So my daughter chose this name. It's a, it's a, what would you call it? Um, Pacific, in, in the language of the Pacific Islands. I hope I'm not disrespecting anybody by saying it that way. I can't, well, I, I don't I'm really. Not, <laughs> I'm not sure myself, but I just want to point out when this incredible dog with a name that, that is incredible, stepped in to the screen and said, you know, grandma Exist. or ma, or, <laughs> you know, can you please include me? Let's talk about the animals. Yes, take a look here. Let's talk about how we are now starting to include the animals and respect the animals and the understanding of how animals communicate more than ever before. We're making space. Follow a, I follow a dog on Instagram. The Instagram account is called hunger for words with the number four being the digit. And the lady is a speech therapist and she taught her dog how to push little buttons that say words. And the dog has a, a vocabulary of more than 35 words and she just literally converses. And it has totally changed my, uh, my opinion about the animals and how much they understand. Because if you talk to them, they are understanding you. And if they could speak, they know the words they want to say. It's, in, it's just insane. But I think especially for domesticated animals like the dog and not cats so much because their cats are only partially domesticated. So depending on your particular animal, they may be more or less inclined to be domestic, right? But um, cats can go feral and they survive very well. Whereas dogs, when they're, when they're loose, they cannot survive because we have domesticated them and that gives us a responsibility 
for those animals. And it's just another example of how humans affect their environment because the animals that we surround ourselves with, the animals that we consume, the animals that produce and that work for us, as well as the animals that we just have in captivity for maybe for their benefit also, but a lot of times just for our viewing pleasure, all this sort of thing, that's us controlling our environment and affecting our environment and you know determining the 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 way the world goes because if you have a lot of cattle that is totally affecting the environment if you have to clear the forest to make room for those cattle what do you do with their waste how is the water being utilized you know what's the best designation for the water that we have if water is a limited resource we have to decide you know what is it that is the best use for it and those decisions used to be made by where does the water fall and now we have the technology to decide what we're doing with that water, but that gives us a huge responsibility. And if you don't think the quality of the water that you drink is affecting you as a person, you know, you're diluting yourself. So you've got to uh, recognize that the, the external environment is being affected by our decisions and our internal environment is being affected by those decisions as well, depending on the quality of food and water and air that is available for us. So we are one with ourselves and we are cells of the environment. And as we start to see things that way, we have the opportunity to understand why it is so important to take care of not only ourselves, but that when we take care of ourselves, we are in turn by default taking care of all that surrounds us. Absolutely. And, uh, and if you even just think about if I am unwell, what are the resources that are being designated to me to help me, right? And how could those resources be used in other ways? So it's almost a social responsibility to be to, as well as possible because Anybody who's using, uh, I mean, especially now, it's more obvious than ever. Anyone using a, a hospital bed is using resources that are available for the entire community. And of I course, if they need it, if they need it, that's what it's there for, you know? But if you can avoid using that bed, that's going to be a benefit to the community because it's available for someone else, right? Absolutely. And if everyone to. were well, then, we, you know, the hospitals would be empty. Wouldn't that be fantastic? All Beautiful. those resources can be designated to other things. Absolutely. Let me ask you, are there any kind of final words? There are so many threads that you mentioned that we could pick up on and continue talking and talking. One thread I want to pick up on before we, we uh, conclude this interview is about the forest. You mentioned the idea of trees and cutting down trees versus leaving trees there the value of trees in terms of the economy is almost immeasurable. So the amount of oxygen and carbon dioxide, the, the cycle of photosynthesis, the water absorption from the roots of the mycelial networks, the fungal networks that travel underground and is the way that trees communicate and distribute the resources of the minerals and vitamins underground, the resource of trees. This is particularly pertinent right now, I know around the world, but in Southwestern Pennsylvania, a company that has the name 
of a very important rainforest, you know, you can guess what that company is, wants to put a distribution center in a community here in southwestern Pennsylvania in the Turtle Creek watershed and airshed communities area in a suburban area called Churchill. They would like to put this distribution smack dab in the middle of this community where there was a former Westinghouse site, which had some radioactivity there. Uh, there's probably some remediation that needs to happen. They want to not only put it on the footprint of where Westinghouse is currently a footprint or was a footprint when it was an active institution here, and they want to cut down 1,400 old growth over 70 year old trees. And there's a claim, there's, there's an ordinance in the small town of Churchill that says you need to, you need to give back 80% of what you take. And my contention, just from my intuitive understanding of what life is all about is how can a company that has the name of a very important rainforest in South America, how can that company possibly bring back what 1,400 old growth trees contribute to, just let's pick one thing, stormwater management in a community that already has flooding and that has surrounding communities in this Turtle Creek watershed called Monroeville, where I live, called Turtle Creek called Pitcairn, which has a tremendous problem with flooding that sits at the stream bed level below this town of Churchill. So as we shift our awareness and consciousness as individual human beings living in this watershed and start to understand there is no way that that is possible, even with stormwater, bioswales, even with the top-notch engineers in the world coming to our community, it's not possible. And so there's no way that it's really possible for this company to put a distribution center here in the way that it's proposed. And so when those employees of this company that we now know, if you haven't guessed it yet, is called Amazon, when the people that own the company begin to embody truly from their heart space, this understanding of the connection between their inner health and wellness and the health of their company, they will go away. And if and when they come back, they will come back with the understanding of the most regenerative, rejuvenative, given, I don't know if that's a word, but rejuvenative proposal of development that the world has seen. And I'm here speaking these words slowly, mindfully, from the center of my being. I am reaching out to you, President, CEO of Amazon, the company, to connect yourself your heart, your mind, and your spirit, not only you, but all of those that work with you to become one with the cells of your healthy, 
vibrant, regenerative future self now in this moment so that you can understand how to collectively collaborate with more environmental and human health organizations, not only in Southwestern Pennsylvania, but around the world that have come together around this project. There's a global tree alliance that is praying that you come to us as a collective community and either reimagine this project or respectfully go away. And I apologize for going off on this, but this is something that is happening right here, right now in this watershed. And we're bringing in the energy of the rainforest of Costa Rica. And we're partnering right now around the world to create, a, recreate an Amazon rainforest. And you can create a company, Amazon, that honors your name instead of raping it. And so with that, Sheila, do you have some closing words for us? It has been an absolute pleasure to hear your stories, to learn about um, the beautiful ecosystem of Costa Rica and how we can integrate and cross-pollinate Costa Rica with Texas and Southwestern Pennsylvania. Why don't you just uh, wrap it up for us because <laughs> we need to move on to our next things. And again, just thank you so much for being here. It was absolutely my pleasure. And I got a lot out of this. And that was, I mean, in your closing, there's like eight things I could say, but I want to mention briefly that in my practice of internal energy with Tai Chi, one of the things we do is open ourselves to different energies. And as you say, if a person has an open heart and they're really you know, connected to their higher self, if you go and touch a tree and just give it a minute, just relax and look within, within yourself and within the tree, you will be surprised. It takes maybe 10 or 15 seconds and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. And you have to, you know, if you have your eyes closed, you open your eyes up again and see, okay, no, it's not actually moving, you know, but you feel the movement inside. That tree is an entity and it is also connected to other entities, including, you know, and you become part of that system. I wanted to mention that if the people in charge of making these decisions would take a moment and really be open to the experience to go and just, you don't have to hug it. You know, the people talk about the tree huggers. It's not a hug exactly. It's just placing your hands on the bark, making yourself still inside and open. And you don't have to do anything. Just become aware of that other entity. And you will see that it's, I mean, it, after that, it's impossible to pick up an ax and do anything to that entity. And the difference between, because I've had the opportunity to place my hands on trees that are, you know, several hundred years old and it's different. It is different because this is old growth and they've been here. They have been here, They, I mean, before we came. So what right do we have to touch them? I mean, you know, harmfully, please do touch them uh, lovingly. And what I wanted to say is that our environment is no longer the same as it was when these old trees began their growth. So I don't care how many trees you plant, you're not going to recuperate these trees if you cut them down because we no longer have the conditions for them to grow in that way. They came into being and got that height and that girth at a time when the environmental conditions were such that supported that kind of growth. 
Okay, when I was studying marine biology in Galveston, I was part of a uh, marshland recuperation project. And we always planted three times more space, more area than we were expecting to have. The studies would last 20, 30 years. And by year 20, you have, you know, a mature wetland, but it is still not the same as the original, right? So it's not 80%, it's three times. So if you cut down one acre, you need to plant three acres. And after 20 or 30 years, you'll have something that's stable and mature, but it's still not going to be the same as the original. So that's a closing thought to think, I mean, you cannot recuperate what you cut down and certainly not with 80% because 80% is going to end up being about 30% and it will not still be the same ever. They're so irreplaceable. In closing, I just want to give a, a shout out to my husband, Stan Beck, who just is saying in the chat on Facebook of the Reimagine Turtle Creek Watershed Facebook page, which I encourage you all to know and like, and go to Reimagine TCWAC is the acronym, reimaginetickwack.org. Step into one of our five working groups. We're reimagining the Monroeville Mall as an eco mall. We have a raised bed garden group that is putting in these gardens, food gardens, for those that can't afford it. We have this podcast group, which I had mentioned earlier. The podcast is called Journey Through Health and Wellness. And a new podcast is published every Thursday at this point. And my husband mentions that today in the New York Times, there's an article about the economic benefit of trees. So Sheila, one last piece, how can we reach out to you? And we didn't even get to the cacao trees, but I can't leave this interview and podcast without mentioning that you have cacao trees on your, your farm. One day we can all go visit and do a retreat. Sheila and I will be certainly facilitating. And if anybody else wants to join us facilitating or participating, that may be happening in 2022. But cacao nibs, talk to us about the wonders of chocolate. And I did want to just put a shout out to the native pawpaw tree in southwestern Pennsylvania. We've planted two in our front yard. The pawpaw fruit is really unknown by most that live here now in southwestern PA, other than the indigenous first Americans who know. The fruit is ripe and is viable for about two weeks in the fall, early fall. And it looks like an avocado and it tastes like the combination of an avocado and a banana. It is just delicious. So talk to us for a moment. Let's close on chocolate and also how we can reach you, how we can find you. And if you've got any special events coming up that we can participate in. Yes. So cacao is a bit of a passion with us. And if you do a little research on the history of cacao, these trees were sacred for the Mesoamerican natives, and they would actually trade seeds as currency. That's how valuable it was. It was not nuggets of gold, you know? It was bags of cacao seeds as coin. It was only used in sacred ceremonies by the priests and the elite, right? The common people normally didn't consume cacao, and it was actually used without sugar. So now these days, we always think of chocolate as being a confection, and it's very sweet. But the original use of cacao was medicinal. It's a, it's a bitter seed. Like coffee, we harvest it and we use the fruit in a fermentation process. 
A lot of people don't know that about coffee. It's fermented first and then it's dried and then it's roasted. Same procedure with the cacao. So there's a lot of artisanal things you can do with the cacao. And we do actually teach a class at our farm like that. And you can add whatever you want into that mix, but we make like a bit of a paste from the from the seed straight up, you know, medicinal cacao. And I do something called the cacao ceremony up there where the there is no sugar there. It's hot water with the straight cacao right into the water. And it really connects you to the earth. Like you're in the place where the cacao has grown, drinking this mixture, and it really connects you to the earth. And then of course, our company also will make the bars. We have an 85 bar that's a bronze prize winner for the International Chocolate Awards that we're very proud of because it is just our naked chocolate with about 15% sugar. And it's a prize winner, international prize winner. So that shows you the quality of the cacao that we're, that we're harvesting. And we're very happy to be replanting a native species on our farm. And it's not monoculture in case anyone's concerned about that. We do mix in other, other things between the trees that serve as a wind guard as well as giving it that tropical sort of tiered effect of not having monoculture. And then as far as getting in touch with me, so the chocolate company is called Kata Chocolate well, it's cut the cacao, but the, the website is cutthechocolate.com. So you can see more about the farm there. And we have a couple little cabins. And like I said, the, the Tai Chi platform. My Facebook is Balance Ideal CR for Costa Rica. Balance Ideal is the name of my Tai Chi school and my nutrition recommendations platform. And I also have a website that is balanceidealtaichi.com, which is more specifically for the Tai Chi. I think that's about it. <laughs> Is that enough? Yes. yes. Um, I have an Instagram as well. It's called balanceideal.sheilabelle. That's on Instagram. Beautiful. And you can send me messages through any of those. Beautiful. Yeah. Feel free to drop your links in the reimagine thread when you hopefully will go back there and comment on people's comments. We've been very yes. blessed. Uh, Annie Dealey is here. Uh, she is the community organizer for Reimagine the Turtle Creek Watershed and Airshed Communities Plus. We're very proud that she's funded through a grant from the Heinz Endowments. And we are also very happy that Claudia has tuned in and Miriam. Thank you so much for being here live. And for those who are watching on the replay, thank you so very much for being here. We are gonna to have to bring Sheila back to talk about lots of different topics that we kind of mentioned here, but didn't have a, a chance to dive into. And until next time, thank you so much for being here. Look for um, some upcoming uh, interviews with some very exciting local and international people right here in Reimagine the Turtle Creek Watershed and Airshed Communities Plus. And one more reminder to go to Reimagine TICWAC, that's the acronym TCWAC.org. And feel free to step into one of our groups through the website. We also have monthly public gatherings and we have a steering committee that meets every week. If you feel called and are particularly interested in any one of the five subgroups, or you want to create your own subgroup through this community, whether or not you live here so that you can then transfer it to another community, feel free to, to do that. There is an upcoming founding meeting for Reimagine Fayette County coming right up in July. 
feel free to reach out to Annie and maybe if Annie is still watching, she can drop the link as to how she would love to be contacted, but you could drop a link in the Facebook page and she'll get back to you. Have a wonderful morning, afternoon or evening from wherever you are in the world. And thanks again so much, Sheila Bell. My tai pleasure. Chi, master, clear Tai Chi, balance ideal. Bye-bye. Thank you, and and I salute your efforts and congratulate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.